everyone, it's Daniel Elwood, and Robert Paul Johnson is my co-host, and we are The Last Nighters. You can find us on the Launchpad Media, where they're always launching new ideas in your direction. This is episode 146 of the show. You can find the show notes and more at lastnighters.com slash 146. Tonight, we're talking about the Kevin Costner flick, The Postman, which can mean only one thing, that we have the great Peter R. Quinones of the Libertarian Institute, who is instrumental in creating the documentary called The Monopoly on Violence. He also does the Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast, and has been our go-to for movies starring Kevin Costner over the past few years, with a notable exception of Casablanca this past summer with Humphrey Bogart. We'll have links to all that on our show notes page, but for now, welcome back to the show, Pete. And thank you so much for the flexibility in regards to the electricity issue we had here yesterday with our Monopoly electricity provider uh, not being able to make it through the windstorm. So welcome back. It happens, man. I, it uh, Nature is going to win every single time. So, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, you talk about Monopoly provider, if it was a private company, who knows if they could have done a better job? Yeah, it's, it's hard to say. Uh, it's one of those counterfactual situations. We don't know what the market would have provided otherwise, but I'm pretty sure that there would have been competitors. And so they would have had more innovation and, and hopefully a more resilient system. But you never know. Well, you could have had a generator, too. Well, who says I don't? <laughs> but uh, yeah, we don't want to play that too loudly in the, in the neighborhood because of, uh, you know, it feels like we had almost this postman-like situation lately. The big news around here was all of our postal workers quit or got fired. And so now we have other ones from uh, other areas that aren't familiar with this neighborhood. And so we're rarely getting our mail. So I think we need Kevin Costner to like locate one of these abandoned vehicles and actually get our packages and mail to us. Uh, and that on top with the uh, the electrical issue, I think we got a, a little taste of what it's like in this post-apocalyptic world of Kevin Costner's movie here. I think I would have trust Ford Lincoln Mercury to get me the letter before I would uh, the postman. Yeah, he'd, he'd die to get me that package. Dude, that guy's dedicated. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, Pete, uh, we're going to have links, of course, on the show. But uh, if you wouldn't mind just telling everyone what you do uh, in your own words and then, you know, get them all spiced up to go and check it out. I run the Free Man on the Wall podcast, released episode number 484 this morning at midnight. I co-executive co produced the Monopoly on Violence documentary. You can see that on YouTube. Maybe one day Amazon will OK it. Uh, so you can see it there. Um, I also help run the Libertarian Institute with Scott Horton, with the great Scott Horton and the great Sheldon Richmond. And and if I leave out Kyle Anzalone, I am going to be really upset because Kyle Anzalone is a remarkable, remarkable podcast, remarkable writer, and does so much at antiwar.com as well that he doesn't get credit for. So yeah, that's a, I, I do other stuff, drink and, you know, party <laughs> Perfect, as, far, yeah. as far as the stuff i want to point people to there you go <laughs> all right and and i will uh wholeheartedly agree with you on kyle he's uh, just launched a new show called conflicts of interest with will porter uh who is a great journalist as well and and they're doing very nice work there uh kyle uh, has been a guest of ours um what was that the war machine war machine that brad pitt movie, yeah. Robert? oh you, you did that with him i gotta go i gotta go back and listen to that yeah it was a couple of years ago so our audio quality is uh probably not as good as it is today this pristine, high-end, uh, high technology we're using today. But it was a really good conversation, and we need to get that guy back. He's uh, he's really good. Amazing, amazing. All right. Well, how we usually kick this off is with the old Google description, and because we're on the YouTube and we're live streaming, I am going to try. I'm going to make an effort here to do a screen share and uh, read this off for everyone here. So. Postman came out 1997, rated R. It's a drama slash sci-fi movie. Three hours. Uh, listed on here, 6.1 IMDb, 8% Rotten Tomatoes, and 29% Metacritic. However, 85% of Google users have been deceived into thinking that this is a good movie. Uh, just showing my cards a little bit here already. Uh, the description is, years after a major global conflict has left the United States in dystopian disarray, a nomadic traveler has who becomes known as the Postman, played by Kevin Costner, wanders through towns in the Northwest delivering old mail. Thanks to the postman's presence, people begin to believe that the U.S. government has been restored. During his travels, the postman becomes involved with the lovely Abby and clashes with the dictatorial General Bethlehem, played by Will Patton. The release date, December 2nd, 1997, directed by, starring, produced by, 
uh, scrambled together by Kevin Costner, box office 28 or $20.8 million on a budget of $85 million. And this, I believe, was an attempt at a redemption after his disastrous Waterworld, which we uh, had you on for last time, uh, Pete, or no, two times ago, which was actually not like this terrible movie, uh, but uh, it, it also didn't like do so hot. It got pretty lambasted by people. But anyway, uh, Robert, let's get your opening salvo, your take on the Google description and uh, take it away, sir. Yeah, I would have to um, get myself more familiar with the timeline of Kevin Costner events because he was riding high off of Dance with the Wolves. But then he was also, he also did like Wyatt Earp and then Waterworld and this thing. And his career just kind of crashed and burned. I guess he also did what the Untouchables. I don't know. I just I'd have to know what the decline of his if his if his movie career was it more just like a gentle hill or was it just like a jump off a cliff? I don't know. But this movie, you know, I I liked it better the first time it came out and the second time it came out when it was called The Magnificent Seven. This movie borrows heavily from that movie it's also the seven samurai um this is just it's it's uh, a a town beset and besieged by bandits and it's not exactly the same he kind of leads this popular uprising sort of a thing even though he's just trying to get hope back to all these different people uh it's you know i don't know the appeal of kevin costner I think he's pretty much a terrible actor. Uh, he's so wooden, you know. He's he, he was incredibly unbelievable in the in the romance in Dance with the Wolves. He's incredibly unbelievable in the romance in Waterworld. And here again, I I don't buy him as a romantic lead. He could be a uh, maybe a offside character actor guy, but he struck me as like this guy who was had a lot of clout in Hollywood. And his name attached to a project could get it done and get it made. And then he's like, well, yeah, and then I'm going to star in it. And nobody ever told him, no, don't do that. The movie will be way better if somebody else is in it, in the lead. I think he'd probably be better as a producer, but this is what it is. He's not the worst thing ever. He's got some charisma, but I just, he never worked for me. I mean, maybe there are women in the 90s that like, we're in love with this guy and went to see every one of his movies. But as a middle-aged man in 2020, I, he doesn't do it for me. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he does it for some other people, but uh, this is, um, you know, I like post-apocalyptic stuff for the most part. It's a decently believable world, except for the, and I know, I know the movie takes place in the United States, but they seem to have just this unlimited amount of ammunition where cigarettes are this precious commodity. And he's like, I'm rich. I got like these two packs of cigarettes. But then uh, they're just blasting at faraway targets as if it's nothing. I don't know. It, it's, a, it's a mixed bag. It's mostly good. I think it's a little bloated and overlong and with some weird time jumps. And I don't know exactly mm-hmm. what's happening. But uh, overall, it's uh, man, it's another mediocre effort that was probably in production hell because every movie that he does is some production hell and uh this is the product that we got i don't know all right robert my, my only rebuttal and then we'll, we'll uh, bring pete in is uh tin cup and the bodyguard kevin costner amazing romantic lead in those two films and uh feel the dreams he was in that right he's good in that he's good in dances with wolves except for the romantic part of that one he he has like a range and when he steps out of that range like i think he he's one of those guys who like isn't isn't aware of what his limits are and so he goes beyond those limits fairly often and he doesn't always meet like sometimes when you go beyond your limits you meet that challenge and like you you prove yourself like you become capable of it because you believe you can you know like what's the favorite famous quote like if you think whether you think you can or you can't you're right i think that's kind of what he maybe runs into a little bit here yeah fake it until you make it yeah yeah, but he has had mm-hmm. some pretty good big hits and, and some decent acting. Uh, but I will agree with you, especially on the timing of this, like within the movie, they spent a lot of time sort of developing the character a bit and sort of giving us this world. And then all of a sudden we're months ahead. And I'm like what what just happened? Like 
wait, this girl's pregnant, but now it's like three or four months later and she's not showing at all. I, I was really confused with the jumping around. But anyway, uh, Pete, what's your what's your take? Uh, I know Robert had some pretty damning words for your your man, uh, Kevin Costner here. I know you're a fan. We had you on for Kevin Costner movies. That was just demolition. man. That was just like, destroy the guy. Um, <laughs> I thought he was great in The Untouchables. I, I I put that movie on. I'll watch it with you. A movie that I don't think he did. I think it was actually Clint Eastwood did it called The Perfect Day. Oh, yeah. Where, yeah, where Costner plays a, I think he plays an escaped convict and he's a real scumbag in it. That, that's a good movie with him. I don't know if I call him a romantic lead in this. I would think I would call him a reluctant romantic lead in this. And it's not like he really wants anything to do with that woman. Yeah, and uh, I don't know. I, he, um, I liked No Way Out, even though a lot of people didn't like No Way Out. I liked The Untouchables. I liked Field of Dreams. I liked Bull Durham. I loved uh, Dances with Wolves. And then after that, things started to fade away, but it came back up with a perfect day. But I think as far as a perfect day goes, it was just it. all he had to do was act in it. He didn't have to direct it and do everything. I'm pretty sure it was Clint Eastwood who did everything in that. So Maybe it's a case of just him trying to do too much. I don't know. He seemed... It seems like he was maybe was, this is his baby and he was trying to do too much and it just didn't he didn't trust the other creative people around him to you know their own I mean, vision I don't know I don't, I don't think, I don't think this I think this could have been a good movie if it was an hour and forty five minutes long yeah I don't know that I call it a great movie I don't call it a great movie I don't call it a good movie I think there are some themes in it that touch at things that are important to me but for the most part i mean it's very i hate to use this word because it's so overused um it's almost like a comic book like it like it would have been a better um graphic novel of some sort it just doesn't it it's too corny there's so much corniness in the way he talks especially in the beginning when he's talking to uh the donkey's name is bill yeah. Yeah. When he's talking to Bill, he's overacting. Um, his diction is really weird and old timey. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of things that bother me about this, but I mean, I think there are good themes in it if you can pick the themes out, but um, it's hard to get past just how much overacting. I mean, I love Will Patton and pretty much everything he's in, but he's just so over the top ridiculous in this. So it's like whenever I see over the top like this, I'm always thinking comic book graphic novel would probably have been more enjoyable. Yeah. You know, yeah. Still... There's just a, when you, you got some really over the top characters and some over top things, but then it's set in this other world, this kind of realistic gritty world. It's like, well, what are you trying to be here? What, what are you trying to do? What's, what's the tone here? It's just all over the shop. Yeah. I think it worked better with uh, Dennis Hopper in Waterworld. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, he was a comic book villain, whereas Will Patton being in a, you know, it's dystopian, but it's like a more believable future than the climate crisis that apparently will happen if we don't pass the Green New Deal next month. Uh, no, it's already too late. It's already right. too late. It's already done. Right. Yeah, yeah. We only had uh, six months left or something. But, um, yeah, I, I felt like there was a lot uh, of promise here. And there, it's a short novel, I, I believe, that... Uh, that this is based on and I have not read it, but I'm actually interested in, in checking it out just based on seeing the film, because I want to see like how they present the world in that. Cause you're right. There's a lot of things that don't quite work. Like cigarettes are super scarce, but ammunition all over the place, you know, as much as you want. Well, it is it, America, you know, it is. And they probably <laughs> raided somebody's, if they raided my house they could have done the whole movie with just what I <laughs> in the world of warcraft <laughs> yeah. no in reality um, but i think like if you want to just to not even jump right into it just an overview of everything to me when i look at a movie like this and the themes that are there if you're going to look for libertarian themes i'm really not seeing anything there wasn't anything there for me as far as like um, ANCAP or anything like that. 
it's a very patriotic movie. So when I look for libertarian themes in it, I was looking more towards like libertarian party, like mainline libertarian kind of themes because it's so rah rah. It's so we need to get America back, and then you get America back. At, you know, well, all spoiler for everyone, but um, it, that's the way I really saw the movie was most of the themes were very statist running towards personal liberty and but very statist yeah, yeah. i would agree with that although you almost kind of give people a pass because what they want in this film is just like hope and order they don't mm -hmm. they don't want to be like extorted by this roving band of army of whatever so they'd rather have so one that they're just like latching they're latching on to any anybody. Oh, you think the, the US Army is coming back? Okay, great. I'll take those guys over over these assholes. But yeah, it is very much, especially when everybody's getting all teary at the, the, the flag and the post office. I mean, of all things, the post office. Well, the po see, I have I have a very good commentary on the post office. Um, the post office in the United States predates the country. It existed before the country. So and it was very important in the revolution. They, it's the way they got, the way they communicated, the way they were able to, um, I mean, there was, you know, let's remember, there was no telephone. There was no teletype at that time. The post office was very, very important in colonial America. And still to this day, if you you can read articles online talking about the post office and talking about how important it was to the founding of the country. So when I saw that they were going to do there was going to be a big concentration where he was going to be a postman. And when you remember that at that time, that was really the only way that a sister, you know, a brother in New York could communicate with a sister in Georgia. Um, the post office has always been very very important, especially at a time like this when basically all technology has died. So when did uh, the government take over? I mean, much like the education system wasn't initially government controlled, but at some point it took over. Originally I, there was the Pony Express, right? And then... Yeah. It was Wells, you had Wells Fargo. I mean, Wells Fargo was stage was running stagecoaches. Yeah. So um, I don't know when it was, when it became official, but Apparently, it's it's in the cons in the Constitution mm -hmm. that a post office is uh, mandated to exist and service every every home in the country. Uh, my mailman told me about that before he got fired or <laughs> lost a job for other reasons. He also told me he's part of Antifa, so that might be related. I don't know. So you but, turn uh, it in. Okay. That's uh, no, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. I would, I'm no snitch. But uh, you know, I I think that we should give honorable mention to our man Lysander Spooner who started a competing postal service called American Letter Company and got shut down by the government because he was out competing them. He was sure. providing better service at a lower price. And uh, of course, he's also an anarchist. So uh, I'll try to find something from him, uh, perhaps a link to his book, uh, No Treason, A Constitution of No Authority, which has point by point refutations on why the Constitution does not apply to anyone living today or even 100 or 200 years ago. Excellent. Well, that's interesting. You talk about Spooner um, out competing the U.S. government postal service. In this movie, there is no, say, charge for delivering a letter, but it is kind of accepted that, hey, you're as this postman comes through, you'll feed him, you'll have him give him a bed, a room for the night. I mean, how? Yeah, you'll have sex with him. You'll have him you know, father your child, whatever. <laughs> you know, decent proposal. Take care of the guy, right? <laughs> You take care of the guy. Um, how, I mean, how realistic, I think, I think it seems, it sounds like a pretty realistic way in that society without an actual, you know, fungible currency. It's almost a barter. You would uh, trade and barter for those kind of services in order to exchange for, you know, mail services. And mail services. Although, although there is one ridiculous scene in this film and I was so outraged by it. I, uh, I wrote it down exactly what happened. Okay. So he he shows up the very first time. He gets he's he he finds the the old car and he gets the package and he makes his way into the town and he's standing on the bridge there and he's like, Hey, I'm the postman. Yeah, you'll let me in. Uh and so he delivers a few pieces of mail and they're like, Oh, that convinces them. And then 
this old blind lady. She hands Costner an envelope with only a name on it, no address, and says, I trust you'll do what's right. <laughs> Throw it away. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's the exact right move to do. Some crazy old lady gives you a letter with just a name on it and expects you to traipse all around creation trying to find the one person that it belongs to? Are you crazy? That's uh, what does she expect? But didn't, didn't he end up finding her though? Didn't later on we we encounter this woman again and she says, Oh, I got a letter back from my sister. I never thought I'd hear from her ever again. So apparently he was successful at this, which is just bizarre. If if only that would be by chance only. I mean, there's there's no other way that, that expectation that you would hand a letter to somebody and be like, good luck. I trust you're going to do the right moral correct thing for, right. for no benefit to you. But that was just like a, uh, a way, uh, you know, to write in this conflict, this internal conflict that only the audience is aware of in Costner's character, because he's lying to all these people, right? He's defrauding them and saying, hey, I'm Bozeman from the restored United States just to get fed. So, you know, he's lying to them and, and pretending to be what he's not. But then this inspires others like Ford Lincoln Mercury, we were talking about earlier, to take this so seriously and starts this whole movement of additional postal carriers getting sworn in with the credo that's on, you know, the building or whatever. And then they, they start, you know, when, once they start in, uh, getting into conflict with the white nationalist uh, hate group, uh, Will Patton's group, they uh, start adding in like extra lines about, and you're going to, you know, potentially die from these uh, despotic, uh, you know, marauders types. But I don't know. It was, it was kind of inspiring in that way. Though, again, the timing was like really throwing me off because Costner like goes up into the woods, in, into this cabin with this woman who's pregnant, apparently by her after the indecent proposal. And then apparently it's spring. She's not showing at all. And then they come back down and there's all these uh, postal carrier people now, all of a sudden, just out of the nothing. It seemed bizarre. It seemed like the timing was just really weird for that to have already developed. And then once Will Patton's uh, General Bethlehem's group becomes aware of them, he says, all right, we're going to ride at dawn and like attack them. And then nothing happens for months. Like there's no there's no imminent danger other than the, you know, they're picking them off one by one on their roots. Yeah, the, the story isn't very linear at all. <laughs> it's just like, wait a minute, what what are you doing? <laughs> it, it's so weird. Because, what is it? Two hours and 57 minutes? Yeah. Is that yeah. The one you, yeah. The yeah one it's you almost watched? three hours. Yeah. And it's just like, and I watched it at one and a half speed. I'm not going to lie. I haven't seen it in a while, but it was just, I'm like, all right, let's, let, let's, let's plow, plow through this. It just, there was just something really off about it. There were good themes. There were themes of liberty, but the story was just so just whacked. I mean, it's just so the structure was bad. That, that's that's a, the best thing I can come up with was it was just structured poorly. Yeah, it's like yeah, I, I agree. I, I think we could, happen, like you said earlier, if you there's an hour and a half long movie in here somewhere that is actually pretty damn good. Yeah, and the, and and. It, you know what else seemed really forced was the white supremacy, the you look like a mongoloid. And, you know, that was just forced. It was it didn't even need to be there. I mean, would that even be an issue in the post-apocalypse? I mean, you're you're looking for the strongest man. You're looking. He's looking for a strong man who can take orders. That could be anyone. Yeah, it's like it was written by some, I guess, in the 90s. They had it, too. Not only is he a bad guy, not only does he go around attacking people and robbing people, but he's also a racist too. And that's why you should hate him. It it seemed unnecessarily jammed in there. Yeah, yeah I agree. It, in, in watching it, I was like, whoa, that's in here back in 97? Like what? <laughs> it feels like such a current day like accusation, you know, about any, any perceived slight. Like I, I learned this today. Apparently the dictionary changed the term sexual preference yesterday, it was just a, a normal term, you know, describing somebody who Was, is, wasn't it just the word preference? I don't yeah, think it was, yeah. the term, it was preference. Yeah. And now it's now like one of the def definitions is now labeled as offensive. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's yeah we're, we're in a um it's a brand new world we're in an interesting time we're yeah in, a, uh, the, in in the racism in this film it really feels crammed in there because there's no payoff at the end yeah he never he never suffers due to his racism it's not you know it's not like he's killed by some guy that he slighted for being inferior earlier on i mean oh, it, it's oh, just it's oh. just it's oh, just early oh. on in the film he's a racist and then it's forgotten about the guy he's killed by is just a a stereotype. Oh, it's a guy who crossed him once, so he cut his tongue out so he couldn't speak, and now he's like his lapdog. See how many movies there there are characters like that? It's just that's just it was te- that's terrible. Yeah, and you had Ford Lincoln yeah, Mercury right helped. there. That could have been the payoff right there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah it was so much. It's one of those movies. It's like you look at it and you're like, "This could be a really good movie." Let's go back and try and do it. You know, <laughs> let's yeah. go back and try and make it an hour. You know, an hour and forty five minutes long, and uh, you know, put some theme. You know, concentrate more on the themes of liberty and you know, people wanting to be free. And yeah, and, and not all this. Oh, I mean, think even think about uh, what was her name, Abby? Yeah, yeah, sure. Oh, I, my my man can't get me pregnant. So can you get me pregnant? There's a whole town. There's a well, she whole did address. Town. She did address that. She's like, we thought about that, and that might create conflict because we're around them all the time. So right. you're an outsider who's only gonna be here every once in a while. We think that'll be a better thing. But you know, but but she should know. I mean, she's read the script. He's gonna be back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And you know, I to your point, like, I, mean, I just did. I mean, that's just so. There were so many cliches in this. It was just. Oh, it's like I've seen this in another movie. I've seen this in another movie. I've seen this in a TV show. It was just, it was just loaded. Yeah, you know, I I think yeah. So I, the um, there were a lot of bad scenes in the film. <laughs> I don't think you can hear me, Robert, <laughs> or it's like delayed or something. <laughs> it's like super delayed. You're super cutting out for me, and I'm probably cutting out for you. I don't know what it is, but no, you sound good for okay, me. I'll, like... I'll bring up this and then. All right, you go. Robert. Okay, I'll talk for a second and then you can talk. So okay. the one there's a bunch of crappy scenes in this film, but the one that stuck out like a sore thumb until the end and then I went, "Oh, okay, so that's why that was there. That was so awkward and out of place." Was he's just riding along in front of this house and this kid runs out with this letter and he's like, "Oh, I got this thing." And then, so then there's this dramatic, like it's almost like a Marlboro commercial or something. And then he turns around and then he slow motion comes along and picks up the, the letter like this, this almost like out of some sort of a propaganda, like the U S post service, we get every letter or something like that. Right. And you're like, what the fuck was that doing in this film? Who are those characters? What does this have to do with anything? Yeah. I know he goes around and picks up the mail and delivers the mail. That's what the whole fucking movie's about. But then you finally get to the end and they're like, oh, okay, the statue. Okay, whatever. That that, that was was, stupid. That was me. Yeah. (laughs) That was Mm. me. Was that guy going to cry? Was that that little pansy going to start crying? Yeah. (laughs) It was right in the feels. Jesus. Yeah. So so that that scene's in there so that the the statue makes sense at the end. And uh, side story about that statue. My father-in-law actually picked up that statue from where they shot that scene and drove it across the country to South Dakota and delivered it. Uh, and it, it was supposed to be put into a casino that Costner had interest in a decade and a half, two decades ago. I don't know if that actually happened. All I know is that that statue, which was made out of like chicken wire and <laughs> pewter. <laughs> pewter and wood and whatever, uh, ended up in South Dakota. And uh, he's got a picture of himself with it. But anyway, uh, back to your point, Pete, you were talking about um, there's like a, a nice uh, hour and a half movie somewhere in here. I think you're right. And and there have been instances where like fan fiction people have like taken a story and improved on it and like taken scenes and then added some uh, filler scenes or connective tissue, which I, I feel like that's really what's missing in this movie is the things connecting these moments so that they make sense. Like it keeps presenting something. Oh, this is about to happen. We're going to ride at dawn and attack the camp tomorrow. We're going to do this over here. We're going to do that. And then they don't do it. It's like, I don't understand what's going on. You know, it just keeps jumping around. Uh, And then, you know, he goes to uh, Tom Petty's uh, town and he's like, 
going on the zip line for whatever reason. And Tom Petty's like, yeah, there's like a few towns down there. Just, you know, go down this zip line. Like, okay, well, I don't understand why he's doing it, why he's going down there. But then all of a sudden he's like mustering the Rohirrim and, and has this uh, battle brigade like moments later for, for some reason. But I thought that town was going to be attacked or that, you know, Tom Petty's village was going to be attacked like the next day or, or shortly thereafter. And that never happens. And then all of a sudden they take the, the field randomly uh, for, I don't know why. Uh, and, and they both have their battalions uh, facing off uh, for this final showdown. And I know I'm jumping way ahead, but you know, the movie did it. So why can't I? There was so much. that just didn't make sense. I mean, I, I don't even know where to begin. It's yeah, like, you know, my favorite part of the movie is, is when she burns the cabin. Yeah, I didn't get, get that. this thing on the road. Get the show on the road. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's just burning a bridge. Is is we need? I don't. I don't want to stay here. We're gonna go somewhere else. So I'm gonna burn the only reason why we stayed here. Yeah, and, I. Know, I didn't understand why. Why was like, uh, animosity with her though? Like, who was the who was the one who got to the new world and burnt his ships? Oh, yeah, who I don't remember, before? but I've heard of that. Yeah, that that's what I thought immediately in my mind was. I'm like, she's just like, all right, well, you know, he, he looks like he wants to make a life here, and um, I, I don't even, I don't, she didn't really like him at that point. Yeah, I don't think she even really respected him at that point. So it's like, oh, he's probably going to want to stay here because he's gotten all comfortable over these months. Um, time to go. Let's burn this. Sh let's burn this shit. So there's nothing to stay here for. <laughs> I, I actually, I'm like, damn, I respect this girl. Oh yeah, no, I completely agree with you. That that hey, she's like someone's got to move this plot forward. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm going to take this script over. The script writers are out to lunch, so <laughs> yeah, they, they did spend a lot of time at that cabin. But I don't understand. Like she she went out there liking him, and then discovered that he had that mark of eight or whatever, and thought that then she was a bad guy. And then he has months of time with her, and he can't like explain himself. Like oh hey, they took me prisoner. And put me through their boot camp and marked me like cattle. Like, wouldn't that explain the situation to her? And then she would get over that, you know, like understand it. And then I didn't understand how um, all of a sudden he's perceived as lazy, just laying around. Well, here's the thing that when I actually I took some notes for this and I remember all the notes. That's why I didn't bring anything. But he's a terrible person. Yeah, he's an awful person. I mean, he really is. I, mean, I remember I wrote that. I'm like, he's just an awful person. <laughs> like, you know, he he would openly lie to get anything he wanted. He would do anything to just survive, you know, survive. I mean, even immoral things. So it's just like, I, maybe she saw that in him and she's just like, oh, let's get the hell out of here. You know? Oh, so like, like a dog who can sense like a person's not a good person? Well, I mean, if you spend time, I mean, what I assume it was, let's call it on the low end three or four months that they were there. Mm -hmm. You can figure out in three and four or three or four months, whether somebody's a good person or not, especially in a, especially in an environment where you don't have distractions, no TV or nothing like that. Right. But I mean, leading into that moment, they did save each other from certain death, you know, and fight a common enemy. You would think that that would have cop bonded save, them together. Cop save people too, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Robert, uh, I'll let you uh, chime in here. Where do you want to take us? Well, I unfortunately, my internet is is really having a hard time with your connection. So I, I, I didn't hear a whole lot of what you were saying earlier, but I think you were talking about how, you know, they kind of cram in things that happened at the time. So in Waterworld, they did like bungee jumping. And in this movie, they do zip lining. And it's just like, what do you want to do, Kevin? I want to do some of this thing. I went to the zip line the other day and it was awesome. And yeah, I've got to put this in the movie somehow. And it reminded me the way, the way that this movie is structured. It's like they have so many scenes that have almost zero drama and they're just like wasted, get rid of them, crap scenes. But then they cut out scenes that are potentially interesting. Like him, like you said, mustering the rear harem. He, he goes to these other towns and then he just shows up with this army. And like some of the most dramatic elements in like a movie like Braveheart is Mel Gibson convincing these people that their, their lives are going to be better off by fighting this common threat. 
but in this movie, it's just like, well, it's taken for a grant. Of course, they're all going to come and they're going to fight this guy for no reason for this uh, this uh, nothing of a main character that everybody hates. He's a terrible person. Like, I could see why maybe they tried a few scenes like that and they're like, man, Kevin's just really not pulling this off. I, I wouldn't join this army either. <laughs> uh, maybe they did that. And so they're like, well, we got to cut these scenes because this is this. No one's going to buy this crap. I don't know. But it is weird how i mean i know we're already at three hours i think they cut like about a good hour or more out of this intermediate crap and then you you add on maybe some of the interesting like him trying to convince somebody that they need to fight this guy um that would have been more fun for me but uh as it is as they play it out it's just a weird time jump where and then all of a sudden he has an army and it's like i i didn't really buy that i mean i get the idea that everybody hates bethlehem but i didn't understand why everybody would want to fight for kevin costner in this film Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't understand like Bethlehem's just apparently this uh, pirate guy who he's just the local mafioso extorting them. And yet somehow they prefer to have a mafioso that they perhaps had a say in electing. Like they're still going to have to give up something for this protection and for the infrastructure that they're longing for. Um I don't know. I just don't know. I don't, I don't understand why Bethlehem like had to be so evil to get what he wanted when he was just there for the taking. Like he could have just been this benevolent person, right? Or, or said he was, that's what politicians do today. They say they're doing great things for you and people lap it up. Um, it seems like a missed opportunity for him. Uh, why, why be so um, learned yet stupid and vile when you could have gotten away with all this stuff uh, by just putting a little honey on it goes back to what i said about it being a comic book or a graphic novel he's just like a comic book villain just over the top for no reason yeah i did appreciate that he kind of had the finer sensibilities and he was like into shakespeare and like the art of war the kind of thing kind of kind of gave him some kind of megalomaniacal believability to his character that he's like power tripping and he believes himself to be better than everybody else but it, he really did seem like a character that didn't belong in this world. He was so cartoonishly evil that he's just giving so many people excuses to kill him and want him dead that he wouldn't have lasted long. Right. It's like that coin strategy we talked about in War Machine with like Kyle Angela. I'm sorry. I my, my internet is just an asshole right now. I can't. I don't know. I'm just looking at a bunch of frozen screens. So unfortunately, um, you guys might have to carry 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 me on this one i don't know if you're hearing me or not well i was just jumping off of your point robert that that he's just creating more enemies and more people willing to resist him with his antics with his behavior of treating people like shit and eventually you're gonna make enough people upset that that they will band together against you sort of like the coin strategy in war machine where they were trying to um kill kill you know combatants but then they every one they killed I think he argued that they were making eight to 10 more uh, willing to fight. It's like the zombie apocalypse, man. It's like you, you go to war with zombies and um, you kill one of them and you kill one of them. They kill one of you and they gain one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it feels like that now, like trying to convince people who uh, are all for the mask mandates and listen to Fauci and all that stuff. Like you can't even reason with these people. They are literally the NPC zombies that well, uh, were it's foretold. Not, it's not even that. It's like it, they've been overtaken by a spirit. Like it's almost like spiritual warfare at this point where yeah. it, it's going to take magic where, you know, they're like magic has overtaken us. And, and there's this, ex, there's this thread out there that we don't even understand. And even the doctors don't understand, look how much they change their minds and everything. So it's going to take, it's going to take magic in order to, I mean, it, we're living in weird times, man. Yeah, and it seems to be only magic from their particular uh, devotion to their priests. Uh, I, I thought it was. I thought it was hilarious. The talisman that your priest gave you, you know, the, I've been calling them, I've been referring to the mass as talismans. Um, the talisman that your priest tells you to, to carry on you or to wear, uh, that'll that'll defeat the magic. But if anybody else comes up with something that's not magic, that's going to work. Right. Yeah. And my, my favorite example was uh, in the VP debate when Harris said that she would not accept a vaccine that Trump supported. But prior to that, she's all about listening to Bill Gates and listening to Fauci and saying we can't return to normal until that there is a vaccine. And so, 
you know, it's like, okay, so the vaccine isn't the issue then, is it, Harris? It's who's promoting it. Yeah, that's it's everyone. totally ideological. Yeah, that's everyone. Everyone has their magic. You know, Trump has Trump is all magic with Q, you know, QAnon's on his side and he's Batman and he, you know, he's going to take down the globalists and he's going to take down the pedophiles and you know, the, the left is going to defeat, you know, come in and defeat what he, no, he's not the Batman to the left. He's, you know, the Joker or somebody. So we need someone to come in and defeat the Joker. And the only one who can do it is this old senile fuck <laughs> somehow. I mean, I... We're man, we're in the worst timeline right now. Yeah, we're in the worst timeline. I, I, I think I might want to go back to the Berenstein timeline. <laughs> this one sucks. Yeah, things got really weird in the last couple of years. That is for sure. And uh, we're going to be doing a, an election uh, episode or right before the election. And I think we're going to land on doing the purge because I have a feeling that that is going to be uh, the most likely outcome of whatever the results are. Uh, just more chaos in the streets. It's going to be nuts, man. It's uh, arm up. I'm glad I don't. Um, well, I mean, there's no way. There's okay. So if Trump wins by a little or even by a landslide, the left isn't going to accept the uh, the outcome. If on election eve, Biden wins by a landslide, which I don't see happening. But if Biden wins and it's kind of close, Trump's not going to concede. So in my opinion, I don't think we see we know who wins this until mid-December. Yeah, lawyers are going to figure it out. And if the lawyers figure it out, the Democrats are the party of lawyers and it, it'll be it'll be Biden. And then the question is asked. You ask the question. You have to ask the question. Well, all this violence is happening in the streets right now. I don't think these people like Biden very much. So are they going to stop? <laughs> right. And then you have the wild card is if people on the right think that Trump got the election stolen for them, from them, what are they going to do? Will we see violence from them? And here's the problem with that is the violence you see coming from the left is violence that the left isn't very good at violence. They're good at relying on the state to commit violence for them. But a lot of people on the right, a lot of those people were trained by the state to commit violence and to kill. We could be in for a pretty wild ride. Right. Yeah. And I guess the difference also would be in just how it's portrayed, like the left violence gets brushed aside or apologized for. Uh, and it's called mostly peaceful or they blame it on, well, they're fighting fascists or they're fighting racists or whatever. But of course, as we were discussing earlier, the term racist can mean almost anything uh, anymore. So, you know, really, it's just paint look by number. This, you know? Look at this movie from almost 25 years ago and somebody crammed into it racism, white supremacy. And it's just it's an insane world, man. Right. Yeah. It's, it's almost I, like I, we're going to be living the postman trying to bring us back to the movie <laughs> thank you you know one, one of the reasons i thought the postman was um uh, a decent one to do was because well not only are you our kevin costner guy but the post office has been in the news as of late due to the uh, mail-in election as a result of the pandemic uh not permitting many areas to do in in-person uh voting and yeah i can see it being rife with issues as far as like um you know, fraudulent ballots being submitted and, and all of the rest. But I mean, I'm also not a person who thinks that voting is necessarily uh, legitimate or like Stalin says, it's not uh, who votes, it's who count the, who count, yeah. who counts the votes, you know? So like, how would we ever even know if well, uh, they just tell us, you know, whatever, they, whoever they say they want to have won wins. Cause these uh, exit polls, which I guess are the only way you actually get any, you know, validation are notoriously bad, especially lately. Well, isn't hasn't like Belarus has been um, all kinds of had all kinds of unrest due to uh, what Lukashenko getting like ninety three percent of the vote, and everybody's just like it's highly unlikely. So yeah, who knows? Who like knows? oh, he's he's got too many votes. <laughs> you faked oh, it yeah. too well. Yeah. You got to you, you got to make it a little more believable. You know what solves this, right? I mean, uh, pub public voting. 
that everyone knows who votes who voted for everyone because as long as the vote is private and secret how do you know who won I mean, they could say anyone won. They could make it make it about anything, and then people make the argument: Well, you know, if if you make the vote if you make the vote uh, public, then people could you know, people could be threatened. And it's like if you're being threatened because of someone you would vote for, why do you want anything to do with that system? Well, that's pretty much any Trump supporter right now. <laughs> yeah, that happens anyway all the time. So it's like, I mean, this doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, I would rather. I'd rather just grab the phone book and go like this and close my, close my eyes and just point at a name and say, okay, that's the president. <laughs> I, mean, I like that Alaska town with the, with the, the dog or the, the cat is the cat, cat. mayor. Yeah. yeah. George, Georgia had like a tree as a mayor or yeah, uh, yeah something like that. Or a dog on that. Seriously. I mean, it does, does it really matter anymore? I mean, it, come on. The, the presidency of the United States is an anachronism. The fact that people are fighting over it and they're, you know, getting physically ill over it is just ridiculous. It's just, it doesn't make any sense to me. So, you know, that's why it's like, that's, and in the movie, that's what they're fighting to get back to. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> I mean, and I can understand, you know, the mob is perceived as much more dangerous than the state and probably should be, but it's a lot easier to take down a mob. I mean, you know, who they are, you can target them. I mean, this whole system we have is so decentralized when it comes to power. I mean, if you wanted to take the system down, how do you how do you even start? Where do you go? It's spread out all over the place. It's and yes. that's what they and that's what Kevin Costner and that's what Kevin Costner and the boys were fighting to get back to. Well, Costner was just inadvertently doing it by yeah, being yeah. inspirational with his lying and people misinterpreting what he was doing and, and taking it, uh, taking it literally or taking it, you know, serious. Yeah, he was a real bag. getting inspired. But anyway, um, Robert, uh, do you have any final notes before we get into final summary and review? Well, I do appreciate that everyone's problem with Bethlehem was that he was an asshole that went around hurting people and robbing people, not that he wasn't duly elected. Um, you know, that's that seems to be a lot of the argument these days in the politics about whether they're elected or not, not in actually what they do or not. So that's that's nice. I mean, that's usually I, I appreciate movies for having to be honest like that. You actually have to show these guys doing terrible things in order for us to hate them. Um, I did, I did want to ask Daniel, you know, at one point the, uh, Bethlehem wants the, um, cuck guy to, uh, he wants to fuck his wife and he's like, yo, I'm going to fuck your wife. And, uh, but I want you to give me your blessing. Hmm. And then he ends up just killing him, but you know, he kind of puts him in, it doesn't put him in the moral position to be like, okay, yes, you can, or no, you can't. But I wondered what you would do in that situation. Would you have fought him? Would you have just committed suicide, fallen on your sword? Like, hey, I'm not going out like that, and you're not doing this? Would you have run for it? Would you have been like, okay, you go ahead and do it, but then slip her a knife, and then hopefully she can do the job later on? I don't know. What What would you... That's a pretty tough situation to be in as a husband. Um, I wouldn't want to be in that situation. It's basically meaning you're going to die one way or the other, but you don't want to go out you know, like a bitch on your knees... You want to go out like a man. So I don't know. I'd, I'd probably jump at the guy. But what would you do, you think? Well, that is a tough question because you're definitely outnumbered. You know, I mean, his whole gang of, of crooks is uh, all around you. So you're really not in a, in a position of really being able to uh, defend yourself or, or fight them. I mean, I guess you take your chances. And, you know, if you're going to go out, maybe you try to do what you can against the lead guy. I mean, he's the head of the snake. Uh, and if you're dead anyway then why not go out in a blaze of glory with a noble effort? Uh, you know, yeah. he was pulling the prima nocte stuff, like uh, similar to Braveheart, right? Like all of these things are from <laughs> other movies and other TV shows. But uh, yeah, I mean, if, if you're dead anyway, then why not take your shot? I guess would be my take. Yeah. I think you would be, you'd regret it if you were just like, I don't know. You didn't, you didn't fight back at that point, at least if you're dead anyway, what do you got to lose? 
Yeah. Pete, do you have any uh, comment to that? Would, would you kind of find the same thing or would you come up with a different uh, alternate plan? I've been married a really long time. Go ahead. Have fun. <laughs> hey, I'm into that, man. Yeah, let's do it. Woo, let's get freaky with it. We're going to have some post apocalyptic cuck porn. <laughs> all right, all right. We're, we're getting weird now. All right. Um, well, I think that's a that's probably a good spot to end with. Uh, final summer. We you always end on cuck porn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to try to top that. <laughs> So, Robert, if you could segue from cuck porn into your final summer in review on this one, and then we'll go to go to Pete for his. Well, I think you got to judge this one on a Costner curve. And this is towards the bottom end of his work. Uh, Field of Dreams was mentioned. Field of Dreams was a film that was played over and over and over in my house growing up. That movie is a strong ass movie. There isn't some forced romance scene. It's I. You claim that he's good in Bodyguard as a romance for Whitney Houston. I have not seen that film, so I'm going to disbelieve it until I see it. I don't think he is a believable romantic lead. And in this movie, he's not the traditional romantic lead, right? But there is that kind of element to it. And it kind of, it is played at least a little bit awkwardly, which seems natural. I'll give it that much. Um, but the film itself, like we've talked about, it just, it seems like it was kind of a mess. Um, it, it certainly was too long. It tried to do too much. Um, it tried to do, you know, it tried to fit too many round pegs into square holes. It, it didn't, it didn't play to its own strengths. There are good post-apocalyptic movies. There are absolutely, I mean, Magnificent Seven, Seven Samurai. These movies play this kind of angle really well. Um, that weren't in post-apocalyptic settings, but kind of, you can kind of see that like a Western setting, kind of a lawless Western setting is kind of the same thing here. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm not a huge Costner fan. I'd have to, I mean, Field of Dreams is just so much better. Um, Chin Cup. I mean, a lot of, a lot of these things, you know, Bull Durham, these, these things are better than when you got into is like, super long epic movies where he's like, he's, I don't know. It's like his George Lucas phase where he's got enough money and he wants to do everything that his imagination can handle. But you know, he's got all the money to do it all the play with. He's got more money than God. And he's like, yeah, I want to make this movie. That's 200 million. It's going to cost a hundred million dollars to make back in 1990. And then it's going to make, you know, 30 million. And it's, uh, if he had, if I don't know that mindset, but I could it seems to be that's how movies got made back in the day. Um, he got a little bit too big for his britches and uh, he got started to believe his own press and it, it just ended up in a mediocre final product. So I'm going to say that this is like five reformed us government postage stamps out of 10. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask you to rate it in like cigarette packs but <laughs> reforms postage stamps is, is pretty good too. Yeah. Now, did you buy him uh, as the romantic lead in Bull Durham or Tin Cup? Because he's well, he's that was back when he was younger, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it was probably a ten years younger. Um, he's got, you know, uh, he's a little bit more in that age range of when you might be looking for a romantic partner, uh, and maybe he had a little bit more charm. And then less the, the grizzled old kook of a guy. I, I don't know. It, he, he has a certain amount of charisma and charm as most big Hollywood actor guys have. But for some reason, he just, I just never bought it. Never entirely bought it. Maybe I'd have to go back and watch those movies again. Maybe, maybe it depends on who the, uh, the female lead is. Maybe their chemistry, but I didn't see any kind of chemistry here between these two people. As you much. know, I, I think he does better when it's like a contemporary setting and not some future, you know, like he's a war Lord or a, you know, trying he's to survive. Merman. Yeah. Merman trying to scrape by something like that. But if yeah. he's in, you know, just a normal kind of setting or even in JFK, he's great in that, I think. And uh, Pete, I think we talked about, he was already how... married in JFK and he played that lawyer guy and he was, he was quite good in JFK. Yeah. Yeah. If yeah. you don't and ask I... him to do too much, he's actually pretty good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if Costner's just playing a guy, he's fine. But if he's trying to be this uh, forlorn, 
road warrior type hero, action star kind of guy. He he doesn't quite pull it off. Is is basically what you're saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. Okay. He doesn't have he's not he doesn't have as much range as you know a, a really really good actor. He's a mediocre actor that kind of has a, a lot of talents in a lot of different areas, but he doesn't really specialize in any one of them. He's got a zone. He's got a good zone. I think uh, Yellowstone, though I haven't seen it, but I've heard good things that that television series Yellowstone, he's good in that. People are people are enjoying that one. Cool. Probably it plays to his strengths. I mean, it's okay to play a, you know, a 60-year-old man that you know you have some understanding of what that entails, right? Not like a 35-year-old merman guy or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I do a dolphin call right now, but I don't think I could pull it off. Uh, Pete, what's your uh, final summary review, and how many postage stamps do you bestow upon Costner's The Postman? It's just a mess of a movie. It's so... There's no cohesion to it. So much of it doesn't make sense. I actually like the idea that, you know, hey, let's get back to what America was. Um, I don't, I can step out of my anarchist boots for five minutes to um, look and say, yeah, you know, it, if they went back to what it was, their life would be a lot better. And you see that in the last scene where people are wearing modern clothes and everything. So obviously, life had gone back and that's the way I would want it. Um, but it's just such a mess. I mean, we didn't even talk about the, his acting doing Shakespeare at the beginning and just how cringe that all is and how their reaction to him is just so cringy and they, like stuff you've seen in so many movies. And that's another thing about this movie that really bothered me was, so many just typical themes from other movies that you've seen. There was very little that was original in this at all. I mean, I give it a three out of 10. It's just, it, it's really hard to watch. And I get the overarching theme of trying to get back to what America was, but the journey, that journey, it's not even worth it. I think I'd rather just live in dystopia. I mean, and just, and, and live under the fucking thumb of, um, of uh general what the hell is his name again bethlehem um, yeah yeah bethlehem i think yeah if if i have to go through all of that in order to get back to america I, i'd rather just live as a slave <laughs> it's just it's just awful and tedious and just boring yeah all right well that that's a pretty harsh uh harsh review from the two of you guys <clears throat> and i'm i'm a little surprised pete because you you seem to be a kevin costner fan and i'm actually right along with you i think that he's got a certain range and things that he's really good at. However, these long epics where he's supposed to be some kind of a hero, uh, he kind of falls a little bit short. Though there was some Coast Guard movie he did with Ashton Kutcher uh, that I think was good. I don't remember the name of it, but he's like a Coast Guard helicopter pilot. He's like teaching the young rookie on how to be good at what he's doing. Another good movie he w that he was in was The Hunt for Red October. Wasn't Isn't he in that? Uh, Alec Baldwin and Sean Connery. Was he was he in one of those movies that was like that? Uh, I think you probably. Think right. It's like uh, it's it's some a submarine. Different... I'm sure he's been in a submarine in some movie. Yeah, it's a different career. submarine movie. I think. Yeah, yeah. It's not yeah, Crimson, uh, Crimson Tide, which is an excellent movie. Yeah, that's an excellent movie. That a lot of we, we could do that movie once. Um, was a, he in space? Lot, was he one of those of, astronaut movies? Like in the 90, late nineties. Oh, was, he wasn't one of the guys in um, Space Cowboys, was he? Like Tommy Lee no. Jones and. Morgan Freeman, where like they relive their past lives and go on a motorcycle journey. Wait, that's Just that other movie. Ignore me and finish your um, finish your lamb thing of this. <laughs> All, right. All right, the lambast is on. So this movie, I feel like Costner was trying one last try at these long epics to make redemption for Waterworld, which he got just raked over the coals for, and. As Robert was saying, I think he bit off way more than he could chew. He produced this thing, he directed this thing, and he starred in this thing. And I think he was going well beyond uh, his capacity to do those things well. So we lose a lot of the story. Like, there's a lot of like setup, and there's a lot of interesting themes in this world that have a lot of like opportunity to explore, but then they don't do it. They don't do any of it, and 
So it's almost like they set up these things, get you all excited about it, and then they just let you down. There's no payoffs. There's just he inadvertently inspires hope in others. And that somehow is the moral of the story that, that people just needed hope and change. And that was going to make the world a better place and, and bring things back around to um, people wearing modern day clothing and being able to have the excess resources available to create statues uh, of postmen picking up letters from little boys on the sides of the road for random reasons. But overall, not a very good movie. Premise, excellent. I thought him talking to Bill was actually not too bad because you got to think, you know, he's out wandering the salt flats and whatever. He's probably going to go a little bit crazy and, uh, you know, maybe start talking to Bill like a normal conversation might happen. But they they didn't continue with that. It's like they, they, they bring up all these things and then they just drop them and move on to something else. They, they say that this thing's going to happen imminently and it's going to be a dangerous situation. And then they just drop it. And it is months later, randomly. And this pregnancy with this woman that uh, he had the indecent proposal for, she doesn't show ever until the end. There's a baby for some reason. So it's just it's a really weirdly paced movie. It's like they spend a lot of time in the setup and no time in the payoff or connecting the story together. So I think you guys are both right. This could have been a much shorter movie, well under two hours. You add maybe 10 or 15 minutes of connecting some scenes, and then you have a tight uh, movie that makes sense and tells a story. Similar to, uh, I just watched last night, the Joaquin Phoenix film available on Amazon called You Were Never Really Here. It's 90 minutes. Robert, if you haven't seen it, you should you should check it out. You know how Uncut Gems uh, was just this like onslaught of movie, like scene after scene after scene, and you just don't get any respite. You don't get any break from it. This is very similar. It's There's no wasted, there's no fat in this thing. It's all meat. And it's it's really good. It's 90 minutes. What's it called? Well worth, well worth watching. What's it called? It's called You Were Never Really Here. It's on the Amazon Prime. And that I would give eight postage stamps in the newly reformed United States. The Kevin Costner flick, The Postman, I'm going to give it I wouldn't, four. I wouldn't mail this to anyone. <laughs> I'd return to sender <laughs> on this one. All right. Well, that's that's our show, everyone, for uh, this one on The Postman. Uh, we will be back next week with a Halloween-themed episode with our friend Patrick McFarlane of the Liberty Weekly Podcast. He has now launched a new podcast called Unhallowed with his wife, and it's uh, going into um, fi- uh, horror, like novels or short stories, and they, they go in and analyze it, it's sort of like what we do here on this movie review show, the sort of thing that we do. Anyway, uh, so they are a few episodes into that, and so it's going to be a bit of a kickoff for them, and we're either going to do what we do in the shadows, the Jermaine Clement movie, or oh, I love that movie. See, that's oh why God. I want to do it. And the TV shows just as funny. Yeah, so so it's that or the new Adams Family that came out just last year. People have recommended that one to us, and they say it has really good themes worthy of discussion. And is it so, a remake? It is a remake. Yes, and it uh, just came out last year. It's also on the Amazon Prime. I didn't even know that happened. A remake of the first or the second movie. Or the old TV show. You ask these questions as if I, I have answers. Well, I, I just don't remember the uh, advertising or it coming out or anything at all. It just completely missed me, so I don't know anything about it. But okay. It, it was recommended by a listener actually a while back. They were like, you guys should do The Addams Family. And I'm like, oh, maybe around Halloween. And uh, so here we are. But what we do in the shadows was my first option. So I'm going to let, you know what you know what I'll do is I'll let Pat's wife pick. Happy okay. wife. Happy life. That's what they there say. Right? All right. And I know, Pete, your wife might not be too happy if she hears what we said during this episode. So maybe don't let her listen to this one. But <laughs> anyway, why don't you remind people where they can find you? Uh, it's freemanbeyondthewall.com. Is that the correct URL? You're also sure. on the Libertarian Institute. Freemanbeyondthewall.com. All my episodes are on the Libertarian Institute. And um, go to themonopolyonviolence.com to see a one hour and 45 minute documentary on the history of the state, the history of anarchism and how we can live better. Right. So that almost is the uh, shorter cut of the postman actually. Yeah. So you've well, actually done it. I've actually seen the three hour version of our documentary. <laughs> yeah. It's like a lot of cutting, <laughs> a lot of stuff ended up on the, I ended up on the cutting room floor. So uh, 
<laughs> well, it, it is it is really good, and I, I have seen it, though I haven't seen. Um, I, I think you guys redid a portion and, and readjusted audio. Yeah. Uh, so if you could send me the link, I'll put it on our show notes page, sure. lastnighters.com slash 146. Uh, people definitely check it out. It's it's really well done. It's it's excellent information and it's it's safe for newbies too. It's like educational. Yeah. Um, and so uh, we'll be back next week, everyone, with either the Adams family or what we do in the shadows. Uh, you can find the show notes some more for this at lastnighters.com slash one four six. And if you like what we do here, check it out at the old Patreon lastnighters.com slash Patreon. Get some pre-show and post-show content. Post-show is called Kathleen Turn Overdrive. Uh, Pete can only stick around for a few more minutes. So there might be a few moments of Kathleen Turnover, but Robert and I have things to discuss and we will, uh, and it's going to be worthy of paying that top dollar to our Patreon to get some of that action. Robert, I, I got some, I got some things to talk to you about. It's going to be great. All right. So, uh, so anyway, uh, that's our show. Lastnighters.com slash one, four, six. We'll see you guys next week. And uh, Pete, stick around for just a little bit and then, uh, and then we'll let you go. And okay. thank you again for being our guest. It was excellent as always. And uh, we look forward to having you back again soon. Thank you. All right. And with that, we'll say good night from last night, everyone. Peace out.